Well, good morning, Coast Bible. It's so good to be here with you guys this morning. And um, let me just make sure, does this thing work? Yeah. So this is my family. Uh, I'd love for you to meet them while we're here. But we've been serving here in Brazil, uh, southern, southeastern Brazil. This is the Bible Institute. And what we're doing is training Brazilians who are going to go into tribal groups and share the gospel or plant a church, not just share the gospel, but actually learn their language and translate the scriptures into their language and see indigenous believers grow up and take over and be their own church. Uh, so all over Brazil, uh, so a lot of my activities just mainly teaching the Bible and training people in the Word of God. Um, although we're not terribly boring as a family, we do love adventures and climbing hills of any sort. Um, this, we'd watch our sunset every evening and watch the sunrise from our porch, and this is what it looked like for those years. And now we're here. So people often say, like, oh, isn't it so good to be back in America? And we're like, okay, so this was our porch in Brazil, and this is our yard in America. Like, like I don't know. I'm not sure about that. But we're doing the same thing now. Uh, moved back a couple of you, two years ago now to uh, take care of some family needs that we were, we were having at that point. And uh, so we're training missionaries, again, in America who are going to go all over the world. Of course, we're pulling them toward Brazil as much as we can to go to the tribes in Brazil. But they're going to Indonesia and Papua New Guinea and Tanzania and Guinea-Bissau and Guinea-West Africa and all over wherever there are unreached people groups. And that's our heart. So this last summer, we got to take a group of them down here and expose them to a tribe in Brazil where uh, the shaman, these are the aduana, still convince people that they are deities who have manifested and keep people locked into fear. And that's why we do what we do. And we work with a parachurch organization. It's just helping the church get people to places like that called Ethnos 360. And we'll talk a little bit about Ethnos a little later. But um, that is where we are. And so, you know, I would... A missionary coming back to speak, right? You guys have been sent us out and you've kept us there and you've been praying for us. And I read your bulletin that I get every week from Colleen and, and, uh, try to stay connected here. And we pray for you guys actually very regularly. And so, like, what would you expect a good mission sermon, missions challenge to be? Like, is there a passage that comes to mind? What would you think of missionary comes to speak? What's he going to speak on? What passage? Like, guess the one. Which one would you guess? The Great Commission, Matthew 28, 19. That's awesome. That would be a great one, right? Where Jesus passes on his mission to the disciples. That's a good one. What's another one? Anyone else? Anybody think of Acts 1-8? That's another one people do. I've done that one in over a dozen churches easily, where Jesus forecasts what's about to happen to the disciples. You'll, you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria, and the utmost parts of the earth. And then the book of Acts goes on to explain how those happened. It's a prophecy that fulfills well, I'm not going to do that one today either. Last time I was here, I did Psalm 96, declare your glory to all the peoples. It's like, that's another good one. So which one do I choose? Like, do I go back into the bucket of missions sermons that I've done a hundred times? Because I have the privilege to speak in churches all over. Like, should I just do that one? And Pastor Tom's like, yeah, feel free to pull it out of your pocket that you're, you know, it's like, you know, there was one that's been on my heart that I haven't done anywhere. I've done like an extended version that I've written on, but this is the first time I want to share some ideas with you. So if you could be a guinea pig that way. But here's the deal. There's two ideas that I want to share with you. There's two ideas. Um, do I have to point this in a certain way? There's one mission. God has one mission. It's not, it's not missions with an S at the end. 
Like just cut that S off and throw it in the trash. God has a mission and it runs throughout the whole Bible. Throughout the whole Bible. And here, so here's the two things I want to, ooh, you can't read the blue, can you? Or I can't. This says the Bible is the story of God reaching into humanity to redeem the nations. That's the first point that I want to make. The, the Bible, the whole Bible, is the story of God reaching into humanity to redeem the nations. And the second point that I want to make is you too must find your place in this story. So those are the two points that I'm giving you up front. Um, so I want to suggest that the Bible isn't just a place where we get our basis for missions. I teach a course called the Bible Basis of Missions, right? And um, it's not like, oh, hey, let me find this one missions verse and I'll teach that, which is totally fine and acceptable to do when you have 30 minutes to do it, right? You got to do something. But um, I want to suggest that the whole Bible is a story capturing how God is rescuing mankind, how God, it's his, it's one mission that God is on to redeem a people for himself. Let me start way back at the beginning. We're going to jump through a ton of passages today. And I don't normally do that. Don't hardly ever do that. But I think this idea can change the way you read Scripture. If you understand that this, the Bible isn't just a random collection of stories, just some random people in the ancient Near East that we just happen to know the details of their life, weirdly recorded down and passed on for centuries. It's not a random collection of stories. And then like game changes halfway through, Jesus comes on the scene, and there's a totally different story going on. It's one story beginning to end. It's coherent. And it has a thought process all the way through. I want to share some of those ideas with you tonight. So open your Bibles, if you have them with you, um, to Genesis chapter 12. Genesis chapter 12. So we're going back to the beginning. Now up until this point, God has made man. He made him for fellowship, and we know that. Uh, the New Testament confirms that to us. But even as we're reading about creation, God says, let's make man in our image. And he gives this commonality. That's what fellowship is, is having in common. And he gives him part of his image and part of his work in the world of creation to dominate and to um, to control or take care of the world. And so God has this in common with us, but man keeps rejecting his way. And we get to Genesis chapter 12. I'll put it on the screen here if you want to follow along or follow along in your scripture. But this is what it says in verse 1 through 3. Now the Lord said to Abram, go from your country and to your kindred and your father's house and the land that I will show you and I will make of you a great nation. Comma. And I will bless you and make your name great. Comma. And then there's some important words. So that you will be a blessing. And I will bless those who bless you. And, I, and to him who dishonors you, I will curse. And in you, all the families of the earth will be blessed. Well, God calls Abraham. He tells him that he is going to bless him. And if we read the story, we'll understand for, for Abraham, there was some literal like land involved in that, right? And there were other things involved in that. 
his family was going to be extended and become so great, it's going to end up being a nation, which ends up being the nation of Israel. So he had some pretty specific things in that blessings. But you'll notice there's this comma. It's not a period. It's not Abraham. Hey, you're my special guy, Abe, and I'm going to give you a bunch of stuff. I'm going to give you relationship. I'm going to give you um, blessing, material blessings. There's a comma and a so that. And God shows His intentions with the nation of Israel. His point with Israel is not just because they're so special. It's so that you will be a blessing. Do you see that? He is blessed to pass on that blessing. And the Old Testament picks up this theme of blessing Israel with truth, blessing Israel with knowledge and path of, an, of how to please God and how to be justified to God and how to have a right relationship with God. And then the nations start to be blessed from that. And all the families of the earth will be blessed. It's an amazing story. And this is what happens then. And God, or Abraham passes on the blessing to Isaac in Genesis 26 who passes it on to his son Jacob in Genesis 35. And sometimes we start to get so focused on the different stories in the Old Testament, we forget what God is doing about the blessing so that it can be a blessing to the nation. So this is a picture of the Amazon uh, jungle. And sometimes you, you can see a broad expanse of it, right? Millions of trees. And then other times you zoom in, you might see one particular tree that's all the way down in the middle of that. Right? All the way down in the middle of that. Can you imagine there's that bark sitting there? Way down in the middle of that? That's the way the Old Testament is. Sometimes there's like broad sweeping of where Israel's going here and Israel's moving that. And sometimes it zooms in and you hear the story of one particular person like Joseph. Right? Joseph, you guys will remember the story of Joseph. Uh, a sad story gets betrayed by his brothers and sold into slavery. That's rough. That doesn't feel like blessing for Joe, right? He's not feeling the blessing right there. He's in the blessing, but he doesn't feel it, right? He finally raises up from slavery and comes to a high position only to be falsely accused and thrown back in prison and forgotten again, rotting there in prison for a few years before God brings him back up out of there. Get to the end of Joseph's life. And this is what he recognizes about his life. Genesis 50, verse 20 says, As for you, you meant talking to his brothers who sold him into slavery. That's an awkward family moment. I think you've had awkward family moments. He goes, you meant it evil against me, but God meant it for good to bring it about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. And Joe understood he wasn't the center of history. He understood that his chaotic mess of a life served a picture, served a purpose that was broader than him. He fit into a bigger story and he understood that. He understood there's a bigger story happening here. God is blessing the nations through my mess of a life. He is blessing the nations because the blessing isn't just for me. There's a comma and a so that and it extends way beyond. And even the hard pain in my life God can use into the bigger story and he can use our gifts and he can use our um, spiritual talents and our talents in his grand narrative. And it's not just great people like Joe who get it. God uses people like Pharaoh for, to bless the nations. Isn't that wild? Um, Pharaoh thinks he is a god on this earth. Like, he's pompous. He thinks he is it. And he was an incredibly powerful guy. 
Exodus 9.16, this is what the Scriptures say about him. It says, but for this purpose I've raised you up, to, speaking to Pharaoh, to show my power so that my name may be proclaimed in all the earth. God's like, I'm even letting you, Pharaoh, come to power, but it's so that my name is spread. And you think, how does that work out? But if you were to fast forward 40 years ago, when Israel moves into Canaan, they, the first person they meet is a prostitute. And she's like, we know about your God, and we know what you did to Pharaoh, and we know about the Red Sea crossing, and she had saving faith in Jehovah. Are you kidding me? Like that actually happened. That's recorded there in this. And that first story is amazing because the conquest of Israel is rough story, right? It's a brutal story as they move in and destroy Jericho. But it's funny how right in the middle of that, the very first person you meet is a pagan person who's actually saved. She has her faith in Yahweh. She has a faith. And, and then the next story right after that is a Jewish police or, or a Jewish person who doesn't have faith, Achan. And he's actually destroyed. And he's picturing the story pictures for us. Okay, it's not just about Israel walking around and being blessed. It's God using his faithful people to declare his greatness to all the nations. It is kind of like those pictures that you see and once you see it, you can't unsee it. You know those pictures? It's, this is the original meme, by the way. This is in the 18th century. It was published in a newspaper. Ever see this painting? It was published on vanity, right? And it's a lady sitting at a desk or at her vanity with all her perfume bottles and she gets getting herself all pretty up. And then if you step back, you see a skull, right? Do you see the skull there? This is like the original. And it was, the point was like, hey, all this vanity leads to death. That was sort of thing. We've reduced that down to like this. <laughs> like once you see Jabba the Hutt in that purse, you're like, okay, I can't unsee Jabba the Hutt now. Um, but this is the way it is with the whole Old Testament. Once you see that God has a heart for the nations and he is bringing the nations to himself through all these people, you start to realize, oh, Joseph fits into bringing the nations to God. Oh, Moses fits into bringing the nations to God. And by the time they leave Israel, or by the time they leave Egypt, they have gathered people from all these different nations. They have to start putting laws into their law for how to treat foreigners that have gathered and just are starting to gather in with them. So we have all these laws protecting and providing for the foreigners. We get to the most Jewish of all Jewish moments, which has to be the dedication of the temple. And if you think, if you're tempted to think, oh, it's all about Israel, read the dedication of the temple. This is in 1 Kings chapter 8, verse 40. This is what it says, that they may fear you all the days that they live in the land that you gave to your fathers. Likewise, when the foreigner who is not of your people Israel comes from a far country for your name's sake, for they shall hear of your great name and your mighty hand and your outstretched arm. And when he comes and prays toward this house, hear him in heaven in your dwelling place and do according to all which the foreigner calls to you in order that all the peoples of the earth may know your name and fear you as the people of Israel, and that they may know that this house that I've built is called by your name. Even the temple, the center of Jewish religion and Jewishness and all that is Jewish, it was still for the declaration of God to the nations. And it is all over, you guys. Look at just random people. Solomon, 
wise, wise man, phenomenal. People came from all over to hear his, his wisdom. Um, in fact, 1 Kings chapter 4 says that. Men came from the whole world to hear his wisdom. One of them was a famous queen, famous even in secular history, the queen of Sheba in 1 Kings chapter 10. This is what she says when she comes to hear him. She says, when the queen of Sheba heard of the fame of Solomon concerning the name of the Lord, she came to test him with hard questions. Like she wants to see, is this wisdom really wise or not? And this is her conclusion, 1 Kings 10. Blessed be the Lord your God who has delighted in you and set you on the throne of Israel because the Lord loved Israel forever and he has made you a king that you may execute justice and righteousness. She sees this, whatever they have, this truth, this is reality. This is true truth. This is real wisdom. Uh, you look at stories of people like Daniel. What's Daniel remembered for? So is Daniel the story of a guy who was thrown into a lion's den because he wouldn't bow down to a false king? It's kind of that story, but that's not where the story ends. Let me just point out from the scriptures how the story ends. Then King Darius wrote to all the peoples and nations and languages that dwell in all the earth. Peace be multiplied to you. I make a decree that in all the royal dominion, people who are uh, to tremble and fear before God of Daniel... For he is the living God, enduring forever. His kingdom shall never be destroyed, and his dominion shall have no end. And he delivers and he rescues. He works signs and wonders in heaven and on earth. He who has saved Daniel from the power of the lions. The story was there not just to save Daniel from the lions, although Daniel is pretty thankful for that. It was a blessing for Daniel. However, it was not just Daniel's story. It went out to the nations. To the rest of the world. The prophets. Here's what Isaiah says in Isaiah 49. It is too light a thing that you should send me your servant to raise up the tribes of Jacob and bring them back uh, to preserve of Israel. I will make you as a light for the nations that my salvation may reach to the end of the earth. The whole Old Testament, you guys, is about God using the nation of Israel with one mission to redeem the nations to himself. Look at Psalms. Finish this verse for me. Be still and know that I am God. And we act as if there's a period there and there's not. It's a comma. Well, okay, technically it's a period because it starts a second sentence. But it says, I will be exalted among the nations. And we have that first part on plaques and posters. Be still and know that I am God. It's usually a really peaceful scene. Maybe a river or a lake and a fog's rising. Although if you read the passage, it's more like a storm and a tempest. And he's saying, be still in the middle of that tempest and know that I'm God. But look how he finishes it. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. It's God to the nations. They understand that the human, we are blessed. We have God's peace in the middle of the storm or whatever. We get deliverance from the lion's den or... or um Delivered from the famine like Joseph. All these guys had a literal blessing in that moment, but it's so much beyond that. It's so much of a bigger story. Look at Psalm 67. May God be gracious to us. This is a good benediction, right? May God be gracious to us and bless us and make his face shine on us. We usually end there, but it's comma. So that your way may be known on the earth. Your saving power among 
all nations. So why should God be gracious to us and have his face shine on us? That's what we want. But it's so that we then can declare to the nations his graciousness and his goodness, right? But we're just happy with just shine on us. (laughs) Just give us blessings, period. But that's not the way it goes, Psalm 96, declare his glory among the nations, his marvelous works among all the peoples. The New Testament picks up this story. Um, Luke in chapter 2, verse 23 says, describing Jesus coming, he says, that you have prepared in the presence of all people a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for the glory of your people of Israel. So even Jesus' coming is for the nations. Jesus describes his mission on earth as laser sharp and laser focused, razor sharp. He says, the son of man came to seek and save the lost. So the blessing is the truth of God. The blessing is knowing God and having a right relationship with him. The blessing is being reconciled or bought back from, from darkness And we have that, right? You look around in the world around you and you look, wow, there's so much confusion. They're so confused. And you have the truth, but you don't have the truth just for you to sit there and enjoy it. It's not a period. It's a comma. So that you might be a blessing to the nations as well. And Jesus transfers his blessing or his commission to his disciples and you guys quoted that for me right Matthew 28:19 at the end of his ministry as he goes back to heaven and at this point there were there at this point in the gospels there were the crowds there were just people who were following after Jesus they wanted to hear they thought they were curious a lot of those were very churchy church going people and then there were disciples and these were the people who were actually put their trust in Jesus and were truly following him But those weren't just the 12. At this point, there's more than 75. And Jesus says to them, "Um, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me, so go and make disciples of all nations. That's actually where our mission borrows our word ethnos. It's that word right there, nations, um, in Greek. So he says, all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Acts picks up the story. Chapter 10, Peter opened his mouth and says, Truly, I understand God shows no partiality, but in every nation, anyone who fears him and does what is right is acceptable to him. Paul picks it up in Romans chapter 1. We've received this grace and apostleship to bring about obedience of faith for the sake of his name among all the nations. First Peter picks this up and want to put this, point this out. So read with me, 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9. As you come to him, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God chosen and precious, you yourselves, like living stones, are being built up into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. And I think you've probably been taught on that, that you are a priest, right? You are the body of Christ. You're commissioned 
I believe you've probably been taught that you understand that it's not just for the paid professional to minister to you, but you're to minister to each other. I think we get that, and that's what we're doing, and that's good and honorable and good for a church to be doing. But look, the passage goes on. To offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ, for it stands in Scripture, Behold, um, I am laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone, precious and chosen, and whoever believes in him shall not be put to shame. So the honor is for you who believe. But for those who do not believe, the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone, a stone of stumbling, a rock of offense, the stumble because they disobey God's word and they are destined to do. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, comma, that you might proclaim the excellencies of him who... I'm sorry, I got lost there. I missed the slide. That you might proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. You're a priesthood, a holy nation, guys, comma, so that you might proclaim... So that you might proclaim. Um, so the honor is for you. It's for all of us who are believers. And by the way, like this is what God is doing with all of space and time. He's, he's gathering from among all tribes and all nations. This is what he's doing. You already know this. If you want to know God's will and God's plan, this is his end game, is that there are people from every tribe and every tongue and every language around his throne and worshiping him. Look at this, Revelation 7, 9, picturing the end. This is what John sees when he's picturing it in a vision. He says, after this, I looked and behold, a great multitude that no one could number from every nation, right? Every ethnos, from all tribes, and peoples and languages standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands. That's his picture. This isn't missions. This is the mission of God. From beginning to end, this is one story. This is one mission that God is doing. He's drawing from the nations. And I have three considerations I want you to think about. Three things, three challenges for you, Coast Bible Church. The first one is um, some people have asked, am I called into missions? Um, I have a real problem with that question because it makes it sound as if it's optional. Like, oh, I'm called into missions or I'm not called into missions And the problem with that is then we're happy to leave it to people who are called into missions. Oh, okay, they're the missionaries. They'll go and do that. And yet, if this is God's story, if this is what God is doing throughout all of Scripture, and this is where he's taking all of humanity, I think a better question is, what role should I play? And you might not leave your zip code and you might not leave your house and you might not leave your neighborhood or your job, but maybe God has a role for you to play in your circle of influence. And I want you to consider three things. So here's the first one. You are blessed with truth. The truth about God, the truth about light, the truth about being reconciled with God. And my question for you is, are you living for the story that's beyond your immediate details? 
Or are you just living for what's right in front of you? Which story are you dialed into? Are you understanding what God is doing and how he wants to use you in his mission? Blessed, not period, comma, blessed to be a blessing. And I don't mean financially blessed to be a blessing. Um, I mean like you're blessed with truth so that you might share that onward with others. You're blessed with how to be reconciled with God. Are you sharing that with others? You're blessed with how to live rightly before him. Are you sharing that with others on a very personal level? And that's a question I want, I want you to let just sit and marinate in your life, in your heart and in your mind right now. And take it away and think about it this week. Like, am I just blessed, period? And I've just been happy to sit in my blessing. I'm, I've got God, I've got Jesus, and I am just happy. Or do you understand there's a comma there and there's a so that? And there's responsibility now. It's for you, the honor now of proclaiming that to others. Here's the second one, number two. I do thank Coast for sending out missionaries in the history that you guys have done that, and you've been faithful in that. So keep doing that. And we're happy to be sewn in and tied in now with you guys in that way. We're happy to be part of your legacy. And I just want to provoke a little bit further and just ask, are there any more, maybe even in this room, maybe in your homes, that God would want to use to reach somebody who's way out somewhere who will never hear the gospel if someone doesn't go to reach them? Have you inspired and challenged your kids to consider it? Have you considered it? I know I'm pushing a little bit because grandmas, they don't like their babies to be in a jungle far away somewhere. It's hard. That's a hard, it's a whole hard thing. But the reality is there are still 2,000 people groups, entire nations, right? When we say nations, don't think countries. Countries are man-made. They are established by wars. They're geopolitical boundaries. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm not talking about countries. I'm talking about nations, ethnic group, people groups who identify as their own people, right? Um, And there's still 2,000 people groups with no access to the gospel whatsoever, meaning there's no known Christian that speaks their language. They don't have the Bible. They couldn't hear about Jesus even if they wanted to. Unless someone goes and learns their language and lives with them and learns their ways, builds relationships, and shares Christ, it will not happen. And so maybe, Coast, you could tithe some of your members. Maybe there's some more people you need to challenge and get ready and send that that might happen. So that's the second challenge. And then the third one is just driving through Southern California. I can't help but notice the nations that God has brought who live among you. Now, I pastored in Indiana for um, 10 years, and Indiana is like rural, man. It's nothing like here, all right? It's rural. And our little town of 25,000 people, middle nowhere, right? We have a pretty lake, and so it brings in some people. We also have some industry, and we started noticing around us People from India and Africa and Japan and China and Asia and Argentina. And we started meeting people and sharing the gospel. And my wife started Bible studies. And there are people, and we started asking, like, our Indian neighbors, we're like, hey, what tribe are you from? And they're like, oh, yeah, my tribe is X number, 
X name, and we look up their name on Joshua Project for one, they're listed as an unreached people group. And here they live two houses down in our subdivision in rural Indiana. How much more here in Southern California? There are people from many, many nations living right here. What's your posture towards them? Do you understand that God is moving them towards himself and that maybe he's using this cross-pollinizing and immigration and all of all, I know it's fraught with all kinds of problems, do you think maybe God could be using this for a bigger story of pulling people from all these nations that they might hear Christ and maybe they'll go back to their country? Maybe they will be the ones that take the gospel, but they work in the cubicle next to you for now. Or they live down your street for now. What's your posture and attitude toward them? Are you understanding the bigger picture and the bigger story? And you drive down through here and you can see Muslims bowing and praising their God that they don't believe you can know personally. And you can see Hindus worshiping and hoping that they would maintain or rise in their status. And you can find Buddhists who do not believe there is a God, but they're hopeful that their ancestors could help them out. And there's Adi Krishna who pray and chant and dance. And you can go down to Long Beach and there are Cambodian pagodas as they call for prayer. And all around us, there's the hollow cries from secular humanists that insist there's no God and there's no point to life and we're a pile of complex proteins. Or there's not much better, a lifeless religiosity that's a thin veneer, right? It deceives the masses into thinking that God exists to serve our needs and to make my life just a little bit more comfortable and to make me live just a little bit more long, longer. And so my challenge is for you, and I'll close with this. What story do you want to live for? Is it just your own story, the story of Joe or Mo or um, Abe? Or is it the story that God has of buying back from all the nations for himself? We're blessed to be a blessing, and this is God's story. My challenge for you, Coast Bible, is that you live for the right story. Let me pray. Lord, you are doing things we can't even picture all around us. You're orchestrating crossing paths with people from all the nations gathered around us. I pray, Lord, that people would learn to capitalize on those, to to not be caught up in the disputes over our country, not be caught up with Um, patriotic values that trump maybe kingdom values. That we could not look with suspicion and not look with fear, but with faith, understanding that you, Lord, your heart is for the nations, always has been. That our lives might tie into that. That you might be honored here in our midst and in our lives. That we would bring you that glory And live for your name and your renown. In Jesus' name, amen.